0: All right, go ahead and open up your copy of the scriptures to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You might be thinking, why did Lee jump with the opportunity of leading the Lord's Supper this morning? Because I knew that that means I get to lead the giving. And since I'm preaching on 2 Corinthians 8, I might as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let me ask you a question. What happens when a preacher goes to a church full of members that can barely string two cents together and tells them about a place on the other side of the world, people that they've never met before that is in the middle of a famine. What happens when that preacher tells them about this place on the other side of the world with people they've never met before and tells them of this famine and then follows that up with every single week, You need to bring a portion of what you make that week to the assembly of the church. Put it in a collection. Because when I come through your city, I'm going to take that collection and go to these people on the other side of the planet that you've never met before. And I'm going to give it to them. And it's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. As I've given order to the churches in Galatia, even so I give you upon the first day of the week. Let every one of you lay by in store as God has prospered him. That there be no collections when I come. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. 2 Corinthians 8 is the culmination of that. You know, there's something beautiful about the church. And that is, it doesn't matter... Uh, As I heard one preacher say, it doesn't matter if you pull into this parking lot in a Bentley or in a bus, you have the same commands as the person sitting next to you. That person may be wearing clothes that don't look like church clothes, quote unquote. That person may be driving a car that's falling apart. That person may not have the funds to even buy food for his family that week. And you may be a person who makes a million dollars a year and never has any want or need Financially speaking, and you have the same commandments. That's that's the beauty of the church. It's that we're all one. We're all equal. It doesn't matter who we are or what our name is or what our background is, what our job is, and so forth. We all have the exact same commandments. And so, 1 Corinthians, Paul writes that letter and he says, I'm giving you order just like I've given the order. To the churches in Galatia, I want you to do this: lay by and store. And then, for centuries, Christians will argue of how much that percentage is. Is it ten percent? And we'll go back to the Old Testament and say they had a tithe. Is it ten percent? the fact of the matter is, I, I I understand the sentiment, but here's the problem with saying that the tithe was ten percent. It wasn't. Those Jews back in the Old Testament gave something like 40% of their income to the temple. But we'll say, is it the 10% of the tithe that we see in the book of Leviticus, the book of Numbers, and so forth? And then we will come up with arguments. Well, we're Christians. We don't follow the Old Testament law anymore. So 10% is not mandated. That's true. However, I challenge anyone to find a passage of Scripture that makes that number less than 10% just a challenge. I'd I'd gladly discuss it with anyone. Now, that being said, in the New Testament, we're all equal. It doesn't matter how much money we make. It doesn't matter what cars we drive. It doesn't matter anything. We come to the services of the body of Christ and we give of our means. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul talks to them because he still hasn't come to collect that money, but he has come to collect in a church in Macedonia. And so he starts off Verse number one: We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they give, for they gave, according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, and for their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything in faith and speech and knowledge and in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also." You see, there's there's a couple things we need to point out in this passage. Number one, Paul said that they did what I commanded them. I commanded them, 1 Corinthians sixteen, one and two, and apparently this church in Macedonia had received some sort of letter as well that said you need to give of your means willfully, as God has prospered you. And so he gets to Macedonia and they've done that. But they haven't just stopped there, they went farther. And he said, we didn't expect this. The church in Macedonia... See, here's a little tidbit of information. Macedonia is part of the Roman Empire. And it's not an important city, not an important area of of, uh, the Roman Empire. Corinth, on the other hand, is a pretty important city. That's the Las Vegas of the Roman Empire. And so money flows like water in Corinth. But in Macedonia, that's not so. And whenever you're in one of those places in the Roman Empire that's not one of these important places you're looking at an average of about one to two people out of 10, 10 to 20 percent of the Roman empire is in danger of dying for a lack of food at that time. So we talk about poverty and hunger all over this world. Think of the worst place that you can imagine. Some, some city or some nation in Africa or some nation in the Middle East or some nation somewhere else on this planet that you've seen on a commercial. You know, with the, the, the twinkling little chimes in the background and Sarah McLaughlin talking about how important it is to give this money to these people. Think of that across an entire Roman Empire that covers the entire known world. And so Paul says, I, I wrote to the Macedonians that they need to give as they prosper too. And we got there and they didn't just give as they prospered. They gave so much more. You see... Today, I don't want to talk about giving. What I want to talk about is the idea of living biblically. So this is another one of our suggested topics. Over the last month, a couple of weeks ago, rather, I read a book called My Year of Living Biblically. First off, I told y'all last week that uh, I, I kind of shot myself in the foot with this series because I, I had sermons like marriage, divorce, and remarriage, homosexuality, all these Topics that that are pretty heavy-hitting topics. Well, then I got this recommendation that said, you should preach on this. And I went, great, what is that? Living biblically, what is that? And the person said, it's a book. And I thought, great, on top of all this, I have to read an entire book now. So I got it on Audible so I could fast-forward it. And I read that book in about three days. And here's the gist of it. It's a man who is Jewish by birth, but not by religion. And he decides he's going to take the Bible literally, quote unquote literally, for an entire year. And so he does so. Now, the, the catch is the New Testament, he only took the New Testament literally for about a week and a half. And he figured out it was too hard. But he took the Old Testament literally. And here are some of the observations He said, number one, don't take it literally. Don't take the Bible 100% literally every single time. That's the truth. There are some passages in Scripture that are not meant to be taken literal. Now, he's following the Old Testament law. And so he got to passages like, don't wear clothes with mixed threads. So he had to hire someone. This man lives in New York City. He had to hire someone to come in and teach him how to find clothes without mixed threads. Because every single piece of clothing you're wearing today has mixed threads on it. Every single one. Cotton underwear is elastic, it's a different thread. Everything. So he goes a year by living biblically. And at the end, he said this I was amazed. I, I, he didn't start with faith, mind you. Okay? He was not a believer in the Bible. He was not a believer, and he's still not a believer in the Bible. However, he said, I was amazed at the way that my actions changed my thinking. There's a whole chapter in the book where he talks about how he's, he's trying not to lust. And he works for a magazine that is made on lustful actions. And so he said, I had to take a, a sabbatical for my job. I'm walking down the street and there's a, there's a billboard in front of me that I can't look at. And I have to walk down the street with my head down. You know, that in the first century the Pharisees were called the bruised Pharisees because they walked around with their head up looking to heaven or their head down looking down so they weren't lusting so much that they would run into walls and they would make fun of the Pharisees and say, oh, those are just the bruised Pharisees. And so this man does it and he says, I'm just surprised how much my actions changed my thinking because by the end of it, he had a whole new lease on life. Yeah, he, he got out of it not... The problem is he started from the wrong place. And so I can understand why the result was what it was. But he got out of this year not believing in the scriptures. But he said, you know what? Even though I don't believe in scriptures, I still think we should have holy, reverent attitudes. I still think we shouldn't lie. I still think we should be good people. I still think that there should be reverent actions in our our lives. Because the way we act changes the way we think. In 2 Corinthians, uh, while I was thinking about how to preach on this subject, I thought about two passages. When I read that quote, I'm surprised how my actions changed my thinking. I thought of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. When I thought of all of his trials, as he called them, throughout this year, I thought of Hebrews chapter 11. Then I started reading them, and they started lining up. 2 Corinthians 8 and Hebrews 11 talking about similar topics. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to combine the two. Now there are a few truths that we need to nail down about 2 Corinthians chapter 8 before we go any farther. Number one is that what you don't have, what you you don't possess right now can be the spark of for what you need. Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about this grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They didn't have money. The Macedonians were broke as broke could be. They didn't have money, but what they did have was faith. What they did have was was the idea that my belief in God changes the way I see the future. It changes the way that I think God will help me. We've talked about in the past the difference between faith in and faith that. Faith in is, is academic. We talked about in Bible class today, do we need to study things like Christian evidences? Yes. You know why? Why? Because the evidence of our Creator gives us the hope that what He said is actually true. Our faith in builds our faith that He is true. That He will not lie to us. That He he has our best interests at heart. And so forth. These Macedonians had faith in Him and they had faith that no matter how much money they gave, they were going to be okay. So much so. Now listen, this is just just an aside. This is a little back door into preaching. You ready? I have never had someone come up to me and beg me to do something. Well, once. I've never had someone walk up to me and beg me to take part in the work of God. I've been preaching now for 10 years. It's never happened. Almost 10 years. It's never happened. Just deep down, I know that you think I can't do it, but but I want to do it, and I'll do whatever it takes to figure out how. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 1 and 2, he says that he, they did it beyond their ability. But look at verse number 3, for I for they gave according to their means, as I can testify beyond their means, begging us, verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. You know what that means? That means when Paul got to Macedonia and, and Forrest gave him the, the bag of money that the Macedonian church, Forrest, wasn't there. Don't worry, okay? But brother so-and-so at the Macedonian church of Christ walked up and handed him a bag full of money. Paul said, this is, this is too much. Y'all can't do this. And that brother looked at him and said, please take it. Please, we're begging you to let us be part of this ministry. What you don't have can be the spark for what you need. They didn't have money. But what they needed was the ability to sacrifice. What they, just just take, a, take, an account, take an account today of what you have sacrificed for the cause of Christ. I was talking with Rebecca a few days ago, and I said, you know, I don't think we've really sacrificed a lot. I mean, yeah, we sacrifice time with the kids sometimes. We sacrifice this. But the fact is, we've we've had it pretty good over the last seven years or so. I don't think we've sacrificed a whole lot. Realistically, how much have we sacrificed for the cause of Christ? You see, these Macedonians begged to be able to give more money than they could They begged Paul, please let us take part in this ministry. They didn't have money, but their lack of money was the spark for what they really needed, which was faith that God was going to supply. Now, let's start linking um, Hebrews chapter 11 and 2 Corinthians chapter 8 with the second biblical truth. And that is, when you have faith in God... You will have faith that he will supply. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as we just read, as I can testify among you beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Hebrews ten and verse thirty-nine. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The Hebrews writer is writing to these Christians, and he says, I don't want you to go back to Old Testament. I don't want you to go back to the law that your fathers held, the law of Moses. Because what they had was great, and it did what they needed to do do, but what you have is so much better. In fact, the word better is used over 13 times in the book of Hebrews. We have a better sacrifice. We have a better covenant. We have a better tabernacle. We have a better high priest. We have a better church. We have a better spiritual offerings. We have better, all of these things. Better, better, 13 times. And so he gets to chapter 10 and he says, verse 39, we're not the ones that shrink back. Christians aren't the ones that get a command from God in 1 Corinthians 16 and say, okay, how much? How, how much can I get away with giving and still fulfill this? Christians are the ones that when Paul shows up to the church building on a Sunday to gather the funds, they say, here's what we gathered of our means as we prospered. And here's an extra bag that we threw in. Please take it. Don't, don't leave it. Please, please take it. We need this. We need to be a part of this ministry. We need to be a part of the grace of God. They had faith that God was going to supply regardless of what could happen. You see, the difference between faith in, faith in and faith that is that if we have faith in God, that's not the end of it. James 2 verse 19 says that the, the demons believe and, and they still perish. They still tremble, but they still perish. The, the people who are completely, the, the people, uh, using accommodatively, the, the demons who are completely and utterly against the cause of Christ still believe that Jesus is the Christ. They still have the evidence. If all you have is evidence that Jesus exists, you do not have faith, the biblical living faith of the New Testament. If all you have is a mental ascension that Jesus Christ died, yeah, he lived, but he died. Maybe he was resurrected. I'm pretty sure he was resurrected. But, you know, all the rest of it, that's kind of made up. If, if all you have is belief that Jesus died and was resurrected, you don't have enough faith to go to heaven. And that's coming from a person who all, my entire life was told, I didn't have faith to do this. I didn't have faith. You don't have faith to see a miracle. Well, that's because you can't do a miracle. All right, anyways, next topic. So if all you have is faith in God and you have no faith that he will supply what you need, you do not have enough faith to go to heaven. All you have is the exact same faith that the demons have. Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. You ask someone a a definition of faith. Well, it's the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Yeah, but what does that mean? What What does that even... First off, we can't really decipher the language half the time, but then when we decipher the language, what does it mean? Faith... That God is this. I know He died. I know He was resurrected. I know He acted in the Old Testament the way the Old Testament says. I know that the Bible's true. I'm not so sure that He's going to supply what I need. I'm not so sure He's going to equip me for what I need to do. But I know He's never lied about any of those other things. And so I know He's not going to lie now. That's faith in and faith that. Hebrews 11.1 1 says faith is the substance of things hoped for. You don't know what heaven looks like. You don't know how God is going to supply you for this work that you're supposed to be doing. But you know He's never lied to you in the past. And so you know He's not going to lie to you now. Now, I want to read to you a A quote from a nine-year-old. I don't know who, what this nine-year-old's name was, but this is a quote. He was asked, what is faith? And his answer was, faith is, well, say you were dangling off a cliff and somebody was holding on to you. If you have faith in them, that means that you believe they have the strength to pull you up. I've never seen Michael pull somebody up off the side of a mountain hope I never get to see that, just to be honest with you. But if I have faith that Michael will pull somebody up, it's because I know who he is, right? You see, faith that God will supply is what led these Christians in Macedonia to give a little bit extra. They didn't know how it was going to work but they knew that God is hanging on to their hand on the side of a mountain. And I don't know how He's going to pull me up, but I know He will. Now, let's it on to biblical truth number three. Your potential exceeds your, quote-unquote, ability when God is involved. Second Corinthians 8, verse 6. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, he, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in love and faith, in knowledge, and in earnest, earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He's a rewarder of them who seek Him. Now, I just want to ask you the rest of Hebrews 11. After this passage, after this faith is the substance of things helpful, the evidence of things not seen. And after it says that faith, without faith you cannot please God, it starts naming all of these names. By faith Abel, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith Sarah, by faith Rahab, by faith all of these people. Then it, gets, it even gets down to the people walking in the wilderness whose shoes didn't wear out. By faith, they kept walking. They kept putting one foot in front of the other. They asked a person one time, who completed a walk across America. He wrote a book called Walk Across America. They asked him, what did you see the most of? And he said, my feet. You get done asking the Israelites what they saw the most of in the wilderness. You know what they're going to say? My shoes that didn't wear out. All these people, how did they do it? How were they able to do the job that was set in front of them? Moses had never led a group of people, ever, The only kind of leadership Moses had ever learned was looking at his step-grandfather, Pharaoh. Noah had never built an ark. Not only that, we we have no reason to believe that Noah had ever built anything. And yet he's called upon, get this, are you ready for this? He's called upon to build a boat, not just any boat, It's the largest boat that had ever been built up into that point. Not just any boat that's larger than any boat that had been built up into that point. It's probably the largest wooden vessel that has ever been built in the history of mankind. Okay? We have trouble building ships out of metal as big as Noah built out of wood. And he gets a word from God. He gets a command from God that says, I want you to build a boat. How do I do that, God? You just start building and I'll tell you how. I will provide for you how to do that. And people try to figure out, how did he lift the beams? I, I don't know. It's very possible he just showed up one day and the beam was up. You see, Hebrews 11 is not just talking about faith. It's talking about their willingness to go beyond their comfort zone and to do what they knew needed to be done regardless of the outcome for their own benefit. 2 Corinthians 8 is not just about someone putting some money in a plate. What you just did a minute ago is not about just putting a check in a plate. It's not practice writing a check. Do you know, until I became a Christian and started giving of my means on the first day of the week, I had never written a check. I had to ask my college minister how to write a check so that I could put money in the plate because, you know, it's not, it's not biblical if you don't put a check in there. If you put cash, you're not, as, you're not as good of a Christian. Anyways, I'm just kidding. All right, so, but that's what I thought because I was a new Christian. and I, I, I was baptized on a Monday night. And Friday, I went to the bank and said, I need some cashier's checks. And I got cashier's checks. And Saturday, I went to the college minister's office and I said, please show me how to write a check because I'm supposed to write a check to give it to the plate. Because I thought you were a better Christian if you put a check in there. Anyways, 2 Corinthians 8 is not about the, the number. 2 Corinthians 8 is about the fact that they looked at Paul and said, please, we don't know how it's going to work. We don't know how we're going to make ends meet next week, but please take this money. Sec- Hebrews 11 is not about some people who had some faith and just did a few little things. It's Noah who says, I've never built a boat this big. I don't, I, we don't even know if he's ever built a boat before in his life. And he says, whatever it takes, I'm going to do this. And I know that God will help me figure out how to do it in the end. You see, biblical truth number three is that your potential exceeds your quote-unquote ability with God. Let me ask you a question. What's the one thing that you've said, I don't think I'll ever be able to do that? You can with God. All things are possible with the creator of the universe. Just throwing that out there. You know, he, he, he did He did create the universe. He, did, he does sustain us. He, he put all of these millions and billions and trillions of stars in the sky. And he made all these animals and these plants. And he created all of this out of nothing. I'm just not so sure that he can help me with this one thing that I know I should be doing. But I'm just, I don't know how he's going to help me with it. You've got to be kidding me. Here's the truth. I made an infographic. You like my infographic? How does God provide for ministry? He does not call the powerful. He didn't go to Corinth and say, now Corinth, I need you to give money on the first day of the week and then forget about Macedonia because they don't have any money. He gave them the same commandment that He gave Corinth. He didn't go to the shipwright a world-renowned shipwright and say, I need you to build a boat. He went to the one guy who found favor in his sight, who had probably never built a boat before in his life, and said, I need you to build me a boat. He didn't go to the best speaker and say, I need you to go to Pharaoh and tell them to let my people go. He went to the guy who who's not a public speaker, who's not a leader, who doesn't, in fact, his father-in-law later on has to tell him how to be a leader. And he said, you need to go and get my people out of Egypt. He doesn't call the powerful, he empowers the called. God does not just lay commands on the people that can do it, he lays people, commands on the people that will do it. And in Hebrews 11 and 2 Corinthians 8, you see people who did not know how they were going to do what they were supposed to be doing, and yet they still did it. I want to leave you with these two passages. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 7. <clears throat> after all of this occurs, after he writes about all these people who have been afflicted, all these people who have, who have done amazing things by faith, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Pause. You remember one of the sayings of Jesus before the cross? He's in the garden, John 17, and He prays, Father, let this cup pass from Me. Jesus is all-knowing, all-powerful God. And yet His human side, His humanity, said, I don't think I can do this, God. But whatever You want, I'll do it. And I'll figure out how to do it in the end. Second, or sorry, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Well, what happens, Lee, if I do this thing that I know I'm supposed to be doing, but I don't really know how to do it, and I don't really think that God, the creator of the universe and sustainer of all mankind, can help me do it? What happens if I do it and I make a mistake? Good. It's a good thing. I want to give you a little, another little input. Are you ready? After I was baptized, it was Monday, February 2nd, 2008, 2009. Um... I, uh, about a week and a half later, my college minister came to me and said, you're leading the Bible study this Wednesday at Mason Hall, the music department. We used to, uh, uh, don't tell JSU this, but we used to uh, leave a rock in the back door of Mason Hall and sneak into the basement on Wednesday nights after Bible study at church so that we can have a Bible study on campus so we can invite our friends who were college students who didn't feel comfortable coming to a church building. And so we, kind of we didn't break and enter but we left open and entered okay all right he said you're leading the bible study it's going to be on prayer and i said i don't know how to do that and he said oh it's okay y'all i wish i had a recording of that i I, i'll never forget megan one of my good friends was chuckling the whole time do you know that it's called a guillotine laugh when you feel embarrassed for someone you smile right she was chuckling in the corner cuz she felt so embarrassed for me because I didn't know what I, I had no clue what I was doing. I had a Bible study that was written by my college minister that he said, "Here, go teach this." And he wasn't even there to help me when I messed up. All right, I'll leave you with this. Ephesians chapter 3, go ahead and open up there. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14. <clears throat> Ephesians 3, that's 2 Corinthians. Here we go. Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I know that He's going to help me do it. To Him who is able to do more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The fact is, that man who wrote that book got out of that year without faith because he started in the wrong place. But what he figured out is what Christians need to figure out. And that is, if you just put one foot in front of the other, you will figure it out. I hope that A.J. Jacobs obeys the gospel one day. If he keeps trying to live according to the scriptures, he will. I have no question in my mind. Because if you just put one foot in front of the other, doing what you know is right, what the scriptures teach you are right, you will come to the knowledge of what you need to do. Whether it's obedience to the gospel, or whether it's how to do this one thing that we need at church, that I don't think I can do or whether it's how to evangelize or how to teach people or how to just get out of this addiction, how to live this life that I'm supposed to be living. If I just take one step and I do this one and then the next one and then the next one and then the next one, eventually you will figure out how to do it because God does not empower the powerful. He makes the people who He gives a command able to fulfill that command. Every time. Every single time. Some of us have commands that we should be living, that we tell ourselves, I can't do that. You can't because you won't. If you need to obey the gospel, the only thing standing in your way is you. That's it. Well, I don't know how I'm supposed to fix this. It's okay. Don't worry about that. Just obey the gospel and we'll fix the rest of it together. It's the thing about the church. We're all equal. It doesn't matter if you pull into the parking lot in a Bentley or in a bus. I like that statement. I'm going to have to steal that from now on. Uh, so you'll hear that again in the future. It doesn't matter how you got here. You have a command and you need to follow it. And if you don't know how to follow it, God's going to help you. But if you're ready to obey the gospel and you're ready to be baptized for the remission of your sins, then you know what you're supposed to be doing right now. Oh, well, I don't know. There's a lot of people here. You can wait till next week when everybody's back from vacation and then there'll be more people. Or you can do it now. Let's stand and sing as we offer the invitation.